Hi, fellas. Hi. Hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. Are, you, are you by any chance playing Hi, Bob? No. no. Look, guys, I know you're playing Hi, Bob. I mean, I'm very flattered that you enjoy the old show, but I, I want you to know I don't approve of the game. I hate the idea of people driving around drunk because of Hi, Bob. But at least if you're going to play, you have to know the rules. You only drink when someone else says hi, Bob. Hi, friends. This is episode 46 of the Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast. And as usual, I am Sean, your host. Maybe next time I won't be Sean, I'll be somebody else. We never know what could happen these days, what with Facebook fraud and everything. But hey, I hope all of you have been well. I figured might as well give you a little update on my well-being. I mentioned a few times before how I somehow injured the bottom of my neck a couple of months ago and uh, been getting physical therapy for that. I am now back to riding my bike regularly, so hopefully I can shed a few pounds. Uh, My neck is still not perfect. I'm still getting physical therapy for it, but it's a lot better than it used to be, so I'm really happy about that. And how are you? I'm listening. Yeah? Well, gee, thank you for sharing that with me. In other news, um, I'm really not sure what else I can say other than, oh, the weekend that this episode is released is the weekend of Portland Retro Gaming Expo. Probably the biggest video game expo in the country, well, in the United States, that is. Uh, if you're listening in, say, Guam or Zimbabwe, I there probably isn't a Portland Retro Gaming Expo. There's probably something else, if anything. But in the United States, the Portland Retro Gaming Expo is the biggest video game show. One of these days, I'll get out there to it. But it's always a good time because usually Atari Age has some new homebrews out. And this year, they're going to have, at least for the Atari 7800, Atari Age will have Serpentine out for demonstration and Froggy. And the word is that Froggy is finally going to get a release after Portland Retro Gaming Expo. So I'm really excited about that. I've been keeping a pokey chip in my possession for a long time just for Froggy. So I hope that becomes a reality before long. And last time I did an episode was the, the Syzygy 3200 was uh, already mentioned. There's been some progress on the Atari 7800 expansion module. And I don't want to get too deep into that because, well, quite frankly, there's a lot about it that I just don't understand. And I have a feeling that a lot of people wouldn't understand it unless they know how to program hardware. But that's all I have to say in that regard. Oh, and I had a birthday since, well, actually I had a, my birthday was before the previous episode. I think I just recorded everything before my birthday. My birthday was two and a half weeks before the release of this episode. My wife got me the 12 inch version of the Charlie Brown's All-Stars book and record from probably the seventies sometime. I had the seven inch version when I was a little kid. That was the first book and record I ever had. My mom picked it up for me when she was out shopping. And my wife found the 12-inch version at a flea market that she goes to from time to time with a couple of friends. So she picked it up for me. And she also got me um, uh, British pornography. (laughs) Um, I've mentioned on this podcast before that I listened to the podcast My Dad Wrote a Porno. 
And those of you who've never heard it before, first of all, it is uh, not safe for work unless you use headphones, uh, such as uh, like what I do. But the backstory of it is that the host, I believe his name is Jamie Morgan, one day his father handed him something that he wrote. And he said, here, I want you to read this and let me know what you think of it. So he was reading it. And much to his horror, he realized that his 60-year-old father was writing an erotic novel. And as he was reading it, not only did he find it not terribly erotic, but it was also very questionably written in terms of narrative style, uh, grammar, and judging from the content of it, uh, his father, who uh, used the uh, pen name Rocky Flintstone, yeah, didn't know much about how the female anatomy worked, despite having fathered at least one child, and precious little about how the male anatomy worked, so... Uh, Jamie and two of his friends, every episode, they read a chapter of his father's erotic novella and they comment on it. It's very Mystery Science Theater 3000. The erotic novels are available as books and uh, my wife bought them for me. And the first of them is actually a fully annotated book put out by the hosts of My Dad Wrote a Porno, where it has the text of the actual book. And in the margins and everything, there are little comments written about this. Like, for example, one thing I can think of off the top of my head, I didn't really read the whole thing yet, but one thing I can think of off the top of my head was there was a line, something about here. It was Friday. The next day, Saturday, is when, and there was a comment written in the margin, thanks, Rocky, for telling us that Saturday is the next day after Friday. We would never have known that, but I can't wait to dig into those. The only thing is I have some other books that I'm, uh, as a priority that I have to read. One of them, by the way, uh, that I, I want to specifically plug is called In the St. Nick of Time. I've mentioned it before about a year ago. Probably around Thanksgiving time last year, I read In the St. Nick of Time, and it's written by William Pepper. And William Pepper is also known as Bill, the host of Atari Bites, and the host of It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown. And if you're not listening to those podcasts, you're doing yourself a tragic disservice. I'll link both of those in the show notes. But some years ago, he wrote a book called In the St. Nick of Time. Now, it does have Santa Claus as a major character in it. But having said that, this is not a book for children. Uh, it's an adult book. Well, not, not, not a my dad wrote a porno kind of adult book, more like it's got adult themes in it. Like if you, if you hand this book to your child to read, uh, there are going to be some choice Anglo-Saxon words in it. I'll tell you that much. Not all the time, but periodically. And the situations are kind of adult-based. Like, there's some complicated divorce stuff in it, so you, it's really not for kids. It's not age-appropriate. They wouldn't understand a lot of it. But it is such a fun read. I can't wait to uh, dig into it again. Please check it out. It's called In the St. Nick of Time. I will put a link to it in the show notes. There's a hard copy version of it available. I believe, uh, I don't think it's available as a hardcover. It's a paperback and mine's autographed by the way, <laughs> bragging moment there. And I believe there's an electronic version for Kindles and these other newfangled technologies that kids these days are using. So, uh, either way, check it out. Very, very highly recommended. I absolutely love it. And one of the things I love most about it, there's this character, the, the lead character has this friend named Dogwater, who's this conspiracy nut job. And 
say what you will about conspiracy theorists. This character is very, very likable. You kind of root for him. There are some limits, though. You're not going to see him talk about, say, Sandy Hook. Or, well, this book was written long before Sandy Hook. Um, on the back of the book, by the way, is a picture of the Pepper family. And most notably absent from the picture is Henry. And why is he not in the picture? Because he wasn't born yet. So kind of hard to include a picture of someone who's not born yet. Uh, I don't think he was even conceived yet, actually. So you couldn't even use a uh, sonogram. But what can I say? Read in the St. Nick of Time. You'll be happy you did. Oh, and I did mention this before, but I should mention it again. The weekend of November 3rd which will be uh, the time that episode 47 is due out. That's the weekend of the Extra Life Marathon. And the official designated game day is November 3rd, but different people are doing different things. The idea is to play video games for 24 hours straight. And uh, the purpose is to raise money for Children's Miracle Network hospitals. So I will actually be doing that the weekend of November 3rd. I'm going to do some the night before. Uh, doing some home console gaming for a few hours. And then on November 3rd, I will be at Underground Retrocade the entire time it is open from 11 a.m. Central Daylight Time till, I believe, 1 a.m. And uh, that's a 14-hour total right there, except I'm going to allow myself about an hour. Um, I'll take a break for Lupper, as it were, and, of course, visits to the bathroom is necessary, but so that's 13 hours right there. And then the following day, I'll do some more home gaming and I will stream as much of it as I possibly can, whether it be via Twitch. I'm going to try Twitch actually, and I'll put my Twitch channel in the show notes, but if I can't get Twitch going, I'll just do the uh, Facebook thing, either through this podcast's Facebook page or my personal page. I don't know, but I'll do as much as I can possibly via Pie Factory Podcasts Facebook page. And also in the show notes will be a link to my donation page. So if you could throw a few dollars my way, it will be going to Lori Children's Hospital in downtown Chicago. And the reason that I specifically chose that hospital is my friend Keith. Both of his kids had cranial surgery there and they got really, really good care. And this is kind of a small way of saying thank you. Um, in fact, Keith might actually be uh, showing up too as well to uh, play a few games with his uh uh, offspring, but there you go. Oh, and also Ferg was kind enough to link my donation page in his show notes. And Ferg is also going to be participating in uh, extra life. I believe he's spreading it over two Saturdays, like November 3rd, November 10th from, I believe, uh, 6 PM Eastern time to 6 AM Eastern time. And yeah, you heard right PM to AM. And since Ferg was kind enough to link my donation page in his show notes, I absolutely am very happy to link his donation page in my show notes. So if you could contribute some money to either one of us or both of us, if you want, that would be absolutely wonderful. And it's for sick kids, remember. But we're kind of getting toward the end of discussable homebrew games for the 7800. So I wasn't quite sure what to do for this particular episode. And then it occurred to me. There are several games by Bob DiCrescenzo, or as he's known on Atari Age, Pac-Man Plus. Probably the number one developer of homebrew games for the Atari 7800. His most recent game, of course, is Baby Pac-Man, which he kind of halted development on because he had some trouble with uh, 
the pinball portion of it. So other people are helping out with that. And you heard me mention in a previous episode, assuming you listened to a previous episode, that Bob had left Atari age. He was only taking a break. He's uh, back now. He's been posting again. And it seems that his plan for baby Pac-Man is that once the other folks helping out with it are done with their portion of it, he's going to take the source code back, make any changes he thinks will be necessary just to kind of finalize everything. And then, of course, there will be a run of cartridges. And I so can't wait for that. And uh, basically, you're probably, you might listen to this episode and think, oh boy, here comes a Bob DiCrescenzo love fest. Well, good, good. He d- the man deserves it. Not only is he a great developer, he is also a wonderful human being. He's a great person. Um, I've never met him personally, but I consider him a very good friend. Uh, he's one of the nicest people you'll ever encounter. Uh, he's very deserving of any praise that he gets, um, not just for his technical skills, but also for being just an all around great guy. I hope to meet him before long, but in the meantime, got his games, including some really good unfinished ones that I need to talk about. And, uh, I'm going to start with clean sweep. I understand a lot of you already know what I'm talking about, but I'm going to assume that there are some people who really don't. Clean Sweep is a Vectrex game, actually. I know I mentioned before in this podcast at some point that a couple of older cousins had a Vectrex, and they ended up getting bored with it, so I ended up with it. And so I had the Vectrex and four or five maybe complete inbox games, and Clean Sweep was one of them. And Clean Sweep is a Pac-Man clone, so naturally, I was very eager to try it out. And Clean Sweep is actually a pretty creative variation on the whole Pac-Man clearing the maze theme. The maze is actually a bank, and your job as the player is to take your vacuum cleaner around and suck up all the money that's been blown about. The robbers are still there, and they're chasing you around. Uh, why they don't get away from the scene of the crime, uh, or at least try to pick up some of the loose money, I I don't know. But regardless, you're cleaning up all the money that's spread all over the place after the, the robbers blew up the bank. Right in the middle of the maze, there's a bank vault, and that's interestingly not where the bank robbers start pursuing you. You start in the bank vault in the middle with your vacuum cleaner, and you go around the maze sweeping up all the loose money. And one by one, the robbers come into the maze through one of four exits. There's one on the top, one on the bottom, one on the right, one on the left. I believe that at first you start with three robbers, and then after you clear the first maze, you get four robbers. But regardless, you got to avoid them. Now, there is a little bit of realism in this game, and that's, uh, well, hopefully we all know what happens to a vacuum cleaner, and the vacuum cleaner fills up. The vacuum cleaner bag fills up, and that is true in this game as well. In Clean Sweep, your vacuum cleaner bag will fill up to the point where it will no longer suck up the money. And at that point, you have to go back inside the bank vault and empty it. And every time you empty the vacuum cleaner, you get bonus points for every piece of money that you swept up. In each of the four corners of the maze, there's, eh, I don't know if I'd call it so much a room, but there are four squares with one opening. And if you go into one of those four squares, your vacuum cleaner becomes supercharged and then the opening closes off and the supercharged vacuum cleaner allows you to suck up the 
bank robbers, as it were. Basically, that's the equivalent of eating an Energizer in Pac-Man. And what's really interesting is that when you're supercharged, your vacuum cleaner will suck up all the money you possibly can. It won't get bigger. It won't. Uh, I don't think that anything you sweep up while you're supercharged counts towards your bag at filling up a limit. By the way, I talked about how uh, you get a bonus for emptying your vacuum cleaner bag in the vault. Well, if you clear a maze and you still have money in your vacuum cleaner, you don't get a bonus for that money. So you might want to strategically plan so that perhaps you leave just one piece of money empty and go empty the vacuum cleaner and then go sweep up that last piece to maximize your points. So it's something to think about. The vacuum cleaner looks really, really good. It looks it looks like a vacuum cleaner. The bank robbers, though, they look like staple removers. I don't know what's up with that, but maybe that was the easiest thing to do with vector graphics. As you progress in the game, things, of course, get a little bit harder. The game speeds up a little, and like I said, after the first maze, you get one additional bank robber pursuing you. And the further you get in the game, the less capacity your vacuum cleaner bag has you'll find your vacuum cleaner filling up to capacity sooner and sooner and sooner. And also the amount of time that your vacuum cleaner is supercharged from the corner gets a little bit less every time. But it's a really interesting variation on Pac-Man. I think it's very creative personally. And by the way, um, all of us listening, I'm assuming, have played Atari 2600 games, and we probably know a lot about that. So, of course, you know that there's a, a special version of Space Invaders called Pepsi Invaders, that was handed out to uh, Coca-Cola employees, I believe. Well, there's a Vectrex equivalent, and that would be a variation of Clean Sweep that was handed out by the Mr. Boston Liquor Company. Most references imply that the name of the game is Mr. Boston, but that's not really true. The Mr. Boston version of Clean Sweep is actually called Clean Sweep. There are a couple of differences. The intro screen on the Mr. Boston version has kind of an advertisement. There's a heading that says Mr. Boston Fine Liquors, colon. And then in a smaller font below that, it says flavored brandies, cordials, schnapps, cocktails, brandy, present. And then on the next screen, it says clean sweep. I like how it says flavored brandies and then brandy. I, oh, well, I'm not going to. It's marketing. I'm not going to question them because it's useless. But the other difference with the Mr. Boston version of Clean Sweep is that instead of a vacuum cleaner, you are controlling the Mr. Boston hat logo around the screen. And that's what's collecting all the money and getting bigger and needs to be emptied. So there you have it. And the Mr. Boston version of Clean Sweep is worth a butt ton of money. It does appear on the Sean Kelly multi-cart, and I'm sure it appears on other Vectrex multi-carts that are available, but uh, I thought that was worth mentioning. So for the Atari 7800, Bob DiCrescenzo did start working on a conversion of Clean Sweep in 2013. It's very unfinished, but it's looking pretty good, actually. It's, it looks like it's a direct clone of the Vectrex version. The maze layout is the same. The graphic for your vacuum cleaner is the same. It has the supercharged corners, although I believe they're laid out a bit differently. The supercharged corners are a little bit different. In the Vectrex version, the bottom supercharged corners, the opening is on the top of the boxes, but in Bob's version, 
the openings of all the boxes are on either the left or the right. The only thing really, the only real functionality in uh, Bob's version of clean sweep at this point is you can move your vacuum cleaner around the maze and suck up the money. And you can go into the supercharge corners and supercharge your vacuum cleaner, but that's it. There are no real enemies yet. The only thing that looks like an enemy is at the top of the screen by the top entrance, right in the maze, there's what appears to be an upside down hammer icon with a box around it. That appears to be kind of a placeholder for an enemy, because if you run into that, you lose a life. If you run into the upside down hammer when you're supercharged, you get a seemingly random number of bonus points. And uh, if you clear the maze, you start over again a little bit faster. So that's pretty much all that's been done with Bob's version of Clean Sweep. There's hardly any sound in Bob's unfinished version. The only sound is when you pick up a coin or dollar bill or whatever those are supposed to be. It sounds like the sound effect for that was borrowed from um, an early version of... Uh, Bob's Pac-Man game. So it's there's not really much to do with sound. In fact, it's usually Bob's modus operandi to put the sounds in at the very end of the development cycle. Now, there is another version of Clean Sweep for the Atari 7800, sort of, and that one's actually a graphics hack by Justin DeLuccia on Atari Age. He simply took Pac-Man collection and made his own maze for clean sweep and changed the graphics a little bit to make it look like clean sweep. It doesn't have the full functionality of clean sweep though, because the vacuum cleaner doesn't fill up. It's just basically a way of playing Pac-Man really. And actually come to think of it, I'm thinking that Bob's version of clean sweep was a hack of uh, his own Pac-Man games because in each of the supercharged corners, there's a blinking energizer pill. So I'm sure that was supposed to be a placeholder that would eventually be removed. But Justin DeLucia's version of Clean Sweep is, again, just basically Pac-Man with different graphics. And this time, instead of the robbers looking like staple removers, they look more like Chicago Bears logos or Cincinnati Reds logos or something. I guess he was trying to simulate the Vectrex version in that regards, and maybe it was easier to do the uh, little C-looking things than the staple remover-looking things. But hey, that is clean sweep, and I really do hope somebody does finish that. Well, why don't you finish it, Sean? No. No, 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 no. I do not know how to program assembly language, and I'm not about to learn... And I'm not about to learn how to program artificial intelligence for a Pac-Man maze game. No way. Let people who know what they're doing do that. But I hope somebody does. Now, I should warn you that as I was researching this podcast, I was discovering at least one game that I never knew Bob was ever even considering and I really don't know if there are any others like that that I'm totally missing. But the one that I'm talking about in particular is Pell Plus. Pell Plus is a flash game that you play online. It's available on Concrete Games, and I will link it in the show notes. And uh, the credit to that game is simply by scripted fun. So somebody using that handle was uh, the developer. But the way that Pell Plus works 
You have a paddle at the bottom of the screen, just a simple rectangular paddle in the bottom of the play field, and you just move your paddle in one of three places. It takes up a third of the bottom of the screen. You just move it, and you catch a ball, and um, that's it. You just bounce the ball across the screen. It's a very, very simple concept. You can use your mouse or the arrow keys in your keyboard, and it's as simple as that. And on June 27, 2011, Bob had posted that he had just been given permission to port that to the 7800. He said he wanted to figure out the logistics before he started. He wanted to give the option of using paddle controllers and, uh, as he says, classic controls. And it's a simple enough game that just stock hardware is enough. No extra memory required, not a complicated soundtrack. And he saw the game on a monitor while he was in GameStop one day, and he thought it'd make a good 7800 port. But I don't think he ever actually started Pell Plus. And I can kind of see a pattern if that's the case, because there's a lot of gravity involved. Unlike, say, with Crazy Bricks, where you're just knocking a ball into a brick wall and three walls and all that stuff where it just goes a straight line. In Pell Plus, there is a little bit of curvature going on, some parabolas and everything, and I think that's part of the reason that Bob had trouble with Baby Pac-Man, with the pinball portion of it. It's because he couldn't figure out like how to emulate natural gravity. I think that was the problem. And that might also be why he never really finished Bomb B, which, of course, uh, evolved into Crazy Bricks, because Bomb B was kind of a pinball-ish game, and if he wanted to make it realistic pinball, he would have had to put in some kind of gravitational calculations. And I guess this might be one reason why if you're studying computer science in college, they make you take calculus. But as far as I can tell, nothing ever came about Pell Plus. There was never any code written for it. I could be wrong. Uh, Bob, if you're listening, correct me on that if I'm wrong. So I should talk about another game that Bob was working on at around the same time. And that would be Battlezone. Battlezone. And uh, I don't really know much about this. I don't think Bob really posted any kind of progress reports on it other than to say that he was having a hard time with redrawing the lines on the screen. There has only been a screen cap, and uh, it looked pretty amazing, actually. Pretty sharp for vector graphics emulation. Usually when you try to do vector graphics on a raster screen, it looks kind of weird. Like if you look at the uh, missiles in Missile Command, any version of Missile Command, they, they're not really straight lines. They're kind of jagged. But from the screen cap that Bob posted on his blog back in 2011, it looked pretty smooth and impressive. Having said that, I don't really have much to say about Battlezone. I'm not going to get into the history of Battlezone. I don't want to spend too much time on it, quite simply because nothing came about it on the 7800 beyond what was just barely programmed at this point. Uh, not, I don't mean that as a slight against Bob at all, just that he had more important things to do. Uh, and at the same time, he was also working on Frenzy. Personally, I'm glad he turned his attention toward Frenzy because, well, I just don't like Battlezone myself. Yes, I know. Heresy. And yeah, it really would have been great to have a battle zone for the 7800. It could still happen. Bob posted the source code. You never know. He might finish it sometime or somebody else could finish it. You never know. I mean, yeah, most 7800 users don't have a battle zone game. To, well, actually, that's not true. You can play the Atari 2600 battle zone 
And uh, some 7,800 users, such as myself, uh, some of us can actually play Robot Tank uh, from Activision on our machines. Um, but yeah, I really, Battlezone itself, though, I really don't like it. I don't know. I just think it's a very unfair game myself. Personally, I prefer the air combat version of Battlezone called Red Baron uh, that came out, uh, I think, not terribly long after uh, Battlezone, now that I think about it. Also another Atari vector graphics game. But now that i talked about that stuff, I want to focus attention on a game that Bob actually did have a um, kind of playable version of, and that would be Defender. Now, I'm not going to get into the history of Defender and Williams Electronics and all that. Now, the thing is, everybody knows Defender. If you don't, welcome to the world. So I'm not going to get into the history and the gameplay of Defender. All I'm going to say is, Defender, you control a uh, spaceship, if you will, that, well, I don't even know if I want to call it a spaceship because it's actually f flying within the Earth's atmosphere, but it's called Defender because you are defending a city and the citizens of the city from being kidnapped by landers and turned into mutants. And you do that by shooting the enemies and capturing the humanoids as they're dropped by uh, kidnapping aliens. Anyway, Bob was uh, actually going to be doing a Defender game for the 7800, but since I'm not going to talk about the history and detailed gameplay of Defender, I do want to throw in a few fun facts. First of all, and this just blows my mind, in the arcade version of Defender, you really are only hearing one sound effect at a time. Hard to believe, but the programming that was involved with, I think, the, the sound prioritization or something, it was done so efficiently and so well that you don't even notice that you're really only hearing one sound at a time. And uh, the arcade version of Defender was designed by Eugene Jarvis, and uh, apparently he had a short temper. In the early 80s, he was playing the uh, Defender arcade game at Silver Sue's arcade. And Silver Sue's was uh, at the corner of Clark Street and Pratt Avenue in the Rogers Park neighborhood of Chicago. It's about two miles north of where I live. And interestingly, Pratt is just a few blocks south of Jarvis Avenue. <laughs> but anyway, Sue England, who was the Silver Sue of Silver Sue's arcade... She once told about how she almost had to throw Eugene Jarvis out because he was playing Defender and he got so mad at the machine that he nearly shoved it into a wall. And uh, it's, I think he's mellowed over the years. A few years ago, he was at Galloping Ghost Arcade. My Pie Factory podcast co-host Jimmy G managed to get a picture of him playing Defender at Galloping Ghost. And the timing was perfect when he snapped the picture that was just as Eugene lost his last life. And he had this big WTF look on his face. <laughs> he was like, oh, come on. No, <laughs> I just love it that he wasn't really scoring very high on his own game on that day. <laughs> Apparently he, back uh, when Defender was all the rage, he could score pretty well in the game. But he was, he just didn't have a good day that day, I don't think. And uh, another fun fact about Defender, assuming I'm correct. I believe that Defender is the reason that the Twin Galaxies scoreboard was started. If I understand my history correctly, somebody achieved an insanely high score on Defender at the Twin Galaxies arcade that Walter Day ran in Otumwa, Iowa back in the early 80s. 
And Walter wondered if that was possibly the highest defender score ever. So he called up Williams and asked if they had any information about high scores. He said, I got this customer over here who scored really, really high in the game. And I just want to see if that's the highest score you have on record. And uh, the person told him, well, no, we don't keep high score records. So that's when Walter took it upon himself to keep high score records. And thus the twin galaxies international scoreboard was started. And, um, it has evolved and continues to exist to this day. And yeah, there's a lot of controversy over it. And there always will be. There always was blah, 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 whatever. It's just a scoreboard. Get over it, people. And yeah, I'm going to get a lot of flack for that. And I really don't care. But having said that, the first hint that uh, Bob was doing a Defender game, it came from an Atari Age thread started by Nikon on April 18th, 2015. He posted a gameplay video, well, at least that's what I'm assuming it was because the link no longer works, but Nikon was looking through Bob's YouTube channel and much to his surprise, this Defender work in progress video came up and apparently it wasn't even the first one because uh, from what I gather, there was an earlier work in progress video in which all the game had was just the ability to move your ship around, but with this newer video, you could actually shoot enemies, even though they didn't really move around. They just stayed stationary. So there were several days of discussion about this video. On April 24th, Bob chimed in and said that there hadn't been a new update because he was having trouble figuring out how to handle the scanner that's at the top of the screen. He was unsure about how to deal with uh, the humanoids. The next day, he explained that he had to reduce the number of on-screen enemies from 16 to 8, and the number of on-screen shots also from 16 to 8. Because once he began to put blips in the scanner, the game became pretty unstable. That's also why he was not able to uh, implement the full screen enemy explosions uh, that uh, Defender is so known for in the arcade. But over the next week or so, Bob was considering some programming suggestions from various Atari Age users. And on May 3rd, Bob came up with this idea that he could make the scanner a long sprite and just update the sprite's design dynamically. Also, he said that his version of Defender would be kind of like the NES version. Uh, I don't think technically there is an NES Defender. I might be wrong about that, but there is Defender 2, which of course is very similar. And uh, we know it better as Stargate, of course. But Bob said that his version of Defender would be like the NES version and that it would have no terrain. On May 24th, Bob posted an updated ROM. The scanner worked this time, but unfortunately, there was a sacrifice of speed. And uh, that's even before Bob programmed the enemy shots. He later clarified that it wasn't really the scanner itself per se that was the cause of the slowdown because he said the scanner routine was actually fairly short, but that, and I quote, it pushed the kernel over the amount of cycles I had, but only when there are enemies around. Um, I only vaguely have an idea what that means myself. But uh, anyway, Bob added that uh, he believed the same thing happened in the arcade, actually. He thought he saw the similar kind of slowdown there. The ROM that he posted would not work in the Pro System emulator, however, because it used extra RAM that the Pro System emulator could not handle at the time. And I believe that was the last we heard of Defender on the 7800. And I did try the ROM that was posted in Bob's unfinished games thread. Oh my goodness. If he or anybody else could finish that game, it would be just fantastic. It looks amazing. 
And also, unlike the arcade version of the game, it feels like it could actually be playable because you can use a joystick to move around. You don't have like 18,000 buttons on the control panel. One for forward, one for reverse, one for smart bomb, one for fire, and a two-way joystick, and another hyperspace. Oh, my goodness. Uh, by the way, I love the Arcade Defender. I honestly do. I just suck at it. Big freaking time. I'm terrible at it. But, hey, what else can I say? Uh, the version of Defender that Bob was working on looked very promising, very good, even in its early stages. And I really do hope it gets finished up, if not by Bob, then by somebody. The source code is there. But what I do want to go into now is an original game from Bob that I really do hope gets finished. Because, man, it could be really, really something. Let me take you back to October 30th of 2014. There was a new game that Bob was working on with a little help from Trevor, Defender 2600, and Pac-Man Red. And Pac-Man Red was in charge of all the graphics. Those are all Atari Age users. And uh, the game started out as a two-player split-screen game influenced by Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, but Bob ended up not liking the way that it would have worked in the context of the gameplay he had in mind. So he scrapped that two-player split-screen idea, and he turned it into a one-player game. Unfortunately, he couldn't finish it in time for Halloween, but at least he wanted to uh, let everybody know um, about the game and how it was progressing. So on that day, October 30th, he posted some screenshots of the game. Had no title yet, but it was an overhead shooter. It was a zombie apocalypse kind of game. You had to survive the night while your town was being overrun by zombies. And each level was basically a day. Your character was centered on the screen. And as you would move, the background would move while your character stayed in the middle of the screen. And Bob compared that mechanism to that of Advanced Dungeons & Dragons' Cloudy Mountain on the Intellivision. At the time of that original post, Bob was in the midst of programming the shooting mechanism in the game. And uh, others have said that's a pretty difficult thing to do, like get a shooting mechanism going in that kind of a game. There was a series of responses from Atari Age users suggesting various names for the game. Bob decided on Zombie Brigade, most likely based on Shaggy the Atarian's suggestion of Z Brigade. And uh, he also suggested Z Brigade for Canadians. Uh, uh, the only thing about that is um, Canadians and everybody else on the face of the earth, except for the United States, we are the only country who calls it Z. Everybody else calls it Z. But having said that, Atari Age user Gregory DG pointed out that the word brigade was already used in the Alien Brigade game. So Bob said, well, why don't I call it Zombie Bait as a possible alternate title? Of course, that didn't stick around. Those of you who know what this game is know that it was called Resolve, R-E-Z-O-L-V-E. -E. That was decided on November 1st from a suggestion from Atari Man the day before. The game would intentionally be misspelled with a Z to embed multiple layers of different meaning into the title, as Atari Man said. Flashing forward a tiny bit to November 16th, that's when Bob posted the first playable work-in-progress ROM. Didn't have any sound, 
which uh, is pretty typical. Bob always put the sound in last in his games. Uh, the zombies didn't regenerate at the time, and if you get captured, the game would come to a halt. There was also an auto-fire feature. Just hold down the button, you'd keep firing. And people actually liked that feature because it meant that if you were using one of the pain line controllers, well, you'd have less pain. And because it was a top-down view and you'd be uh, moving around with a scrolling background and everything, people were drawing comparisons to several different games like Gauntlet, Grand Theft Auto, the NES game Retro City Rampage, and Bob's own Failsafe. At the bottom of the screen, you would have the score and the day number. And when you destroyed a zombie, there would be a score appearing in its place, kind of like when you eat a monster in Pac-Man. Atari Age user Lynx Pro suggested adding animated legs to the player's character, which Bob said he had in there originally, but he thought that the animated legs looked too much like wagging tails, so he took out the animated legs. Cosmic Stardust suggested that you use Robotron-style controls so that you could move in one direction, fire in another direction, but Bob said that uh, because of the resemblance to Gauntlet, which he recognized right away, he wanted to keep the controls kind of Gauntlet-style, meaning just one joystick, one fire button, you fire in the same direction you're going. At this point, Bob was thinking of using the built-in Tia sound for sound effects and a pokey chip for music. On January 21st, 2015, Bob posted a new work-in-progress ROM, and at this point, after you kill a zombie, there would be a new one to spawn, and the day only lasted a limited time. When the day was over, the zombies would stop generating, and after you destroy the last zombie, the game would fade out. You'd have a limited number of bullets, but because certain things hadn't been implemented, such as uh, random gun placement, Bob set the limit to a very high number, so it would be very difficult to run out of ammunition. Plans for the future, including reprogramming the code so that the player can actually access all areas of the playfield and not just be forced to the middle of the screen at all times. He would use routines from his failsafe game because they worked pretty well in that regard. And that really was the last thing published about Resolve. We didn't hear another peep about it again until nearly three years later, which would be, wow, this year, actually. Bob was sidelined by personal issues and other projects, but there was another contributing factor to his not completing the game, and that was quite simply he really didn't know where else he wanted to go with it. There were some suggestions from Atari Age users, such as a reinvention of Zombies Ate My Neighbors, uh, you could have in the scenery where the player walks past a golf course, you put some ninjas on it, which I'm all for, by the way, a golf course with ninjas. <laughs> Somebody suggested vamp. Actually, multiple people suggested vampires. Somebody suggested packs of wild dogs. Uh, somebody suggested picking up treasures. In terms of actual behind-the-scenes stuff, there were suggestions for support for a high-score cartridge, uh, expansion module, Yamaha YM2151 chip, things like that. Of course, there were weapons, power-ups that people suggested. And someone pointed out something very good. In a good zombie game, your goal should be not just to save yourself, but to save other people, like people who may have gotten locked up by zombies. Well, save them. Um, you could save the entire city from zombies, whatever else have you. But so far, that's all we heard from that. And of course, Bob did post the source code. And hopefully somebody will take that source code and run with it, whether it be Bob, whether it be somebody else. So as far as I know, that is 
the Bob DiCrescenzo unfinished game collection right there. Hopefully at least one of these games will be finished at some point. They look absolutely stunning and promising, which is absolutely no less than what we would expect from Bob himself. So yeah. In the meantime, if you are missing any of Bob DiCrescenzo's games from your collection, what are you waiting for? Go to the Atari Age store and get some of them. There are so many available. Most of the stuff available in the store on Atari Age is from Bob DiCrescenzo. I don't want to give any specific recommendations because I don't want anybody to feel that one is necessarily better than the other. All I can say is that get any of them, you will be very, very happy What? You don't have money to do that? Guess what? Christmas is coming up. Ask your loved ones to uh, get it for you for Christmas. If you're Jewish, ask for it for Hanukkah. Although, I'm going to be quite honest, I don't know if you're supposed to ask for certain things for Hanukkah. I really don't know how that works. So, uh, if I'm being totally ignorant, I very sincerely apologize there. But, hey, get a Bob DiCrescenzo homebrew. You will be a happy, happy Atari 7800 player. And that is four promising yet unfinished Bob DiCrescenzo games for the 7800 that, of course, I hope somebody finishes, whether it's Bob, whether it's somebody else. Well, let's see what can happen. That would, wouldn't that be great to have an arcade-looking Defender to play on your 7800? Wow. But hey, thank you, everybody, for listening, and especially thank you to the following folks. Thank you to Richard Valdez, PJ Steele, New Balance Phoenix Stores, Richard Grounds, Great Offender, Jimmy G, Air Shack, Ed Ladin Controllers, and Kyle Etter. Why am I thanking these people? Well, in case this is the first time you've ever heard this podcast, I'm thanking them because they have supported this show monetarily via Patreon. And if you would like to do so as well, go to patreon.com slash homebrew78. And that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And uh, I mentioned in the previous episode that the uh, donations for Patreon will be going to my Extra Life Marathon, and uh, same thing's going to happen. The next payout I get, that's going to Extra Life as well. So thank you all for supporting Children's Miracle Network. Should you want to reach out to me, uh, you can do so over email. The address is homebrew78 at fab4it.com. Because I'm a Beatles fan, and the domain is spelled F-A-B, and then the number four in your numeric keypad if you have one, IT.com. The show notes for this and every other episode are on the web at homebrew78.fab4it.com. I'm on Twitter at homebrew78, and I'm on YouTube, and the YouTube channel is homebrew7800. Oh, and by the way... I should mention that some of the transitional music used between segments of this episode was written and performed by Bob DiCrescenzo. Now, for the next episode, for episode number 47, I do believe it is time that we talk about the long, long, long awaited Froggy, which looks like it'll finally be available for sale soon. So I'm really looking forward to talking about that. And here's the thing. I need to put this podcast on a hiatus. So what I'll do for episode 48, for episode 48, I'll do kind of a uh, 
kind of a wrap up of some kind. I don't know what exactly I'm going to do, but the fact is that's going to be the last episode for the year because I need to take a break from this. And because uh, really, it's very difficult to try to prepare a podcast episode for this theme, Atari 7800 Homebrews, when you're running low on stuff to talk about and there's a lot of unfinished business out there that you need to do some research on. So I'd like to build up some research and there are also some other things in my life that I really want to start doing. So after episode 48, no more Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast for 2018. The podcast will resume sometime in 2019, and I will suspend, of course, Patreon donations until then. But anyway, uh, thank you, everybody, for listening, and thank you for supporting these hardworking homebrew developers, and I ask you to continue to do that. Give them the support they deserve, the encouragement they need to continue to bring life to our 7800 Pro systems. Talk to you again in a couple of weeks. 